As we all started to prepare for celebrating the 150th anniversary, lots of dates and, and um, events were named. And I kept thinking about where we sit. When I think about the history of this church, I'd like to invite all of us to consider when we use words like owning this land or buying this land. It's a very white supremacist concept, this idea that we own this land, that it's ours. The Native Americans who were originally here in Kenosha were here for thousands of years. We're just babies here. We're very, we're very young in how long we have been here. Um, when the Native Americans originally named Kenosha, they called it Kenosia, which means place of the pipe. It wasn't until 1836, after so many settlers from Europe were coming through here, that they built a post office and they established it and they renamed it Pike Creek for a while. As we consider patriarchy and white supremacist culture, there are ways that we can change how we frame how we talk about this space. And so instead today, I'd like to start our history with whose land we are occupying. As we think of the Potawatomi who used to roam this land, think about there were three village sites. They were all right around this like three square mile area right here. And um, we were closest to the one that was right at the, right at where the Pike River comes out into the harbor. And that area was so busy, it was almost like a freeway. Imagine the horses of all different tribes, the Ojibwe, the Ho-Chunk, and the Menominee all would come through there, passing through there, because this, Space was known as being the best place for fishing for, for hundreds and hundreds of miles. The name proper, Kenosha, was actually Kinosha Kinoi, meaning the pickerel's abiding place. They came to this very land, and every spring there would be a celebration where they would come and all different parts of the tribes would come and they would meet up and they would fish in the spring and pull so much fish from the river that they could feed their families all year. All year. They would come and tap the trees and drink sweet maple syrup. They would fill their spirits with dance and song and food and community. And it wasn't until the 1800s that many moved because there were so many Euro-Americans coming here and pushing them out. Pushing them out of a land that they had lived in for thousands of years. The Potawatomi were part of signing the Treaty of Chicago in 1833, and they had until 1838 to leave, to be pushed out of this space. Think about where that falls in our 150-year history. They saw this as a land of abundance. They would travel here all to come and have this gathering, this very land that we sit on. Some of you heard me read this quote last night, but it's so good it's worth repeating. The land knows you even when you are lost. Robin Wall Kimmer said that in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, which is an amazing book, I urge you to read it. Um, and she's one of the descendants of that tribe, of these people. And she talks about that the land knows you, we are on that land. We are on a land and we all experience times of feeling lost or needing a place of refuge. 
And in many ways, that is what people had done here for thousands of years. Come here to gather in their community. Come here to have a sense of abundance. To share with each other what they were, what they were catching from their fish, what they were gathering from the land. And so when you come through these doors, I want you to think about that part of their language said that this was an abiding place, a place of refuge. And when you decide how you want to share in this community, how you want to establish this community for the future, think about how we all want to honor the love and abundance of this land that was, that was held by the Potawatomi that we now occupy. Good morning. Last night at the 150th anniversary dinner, it was my joy to share the journey of Unitarian Universalism in Kenosha. As I have poured over many photos and documents in our archives, I have been reminded of Margaret Mead's often cited quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. From the mid-19th century to the present, we have had groups of very committed members who have sustained and valued liberal religion in our area and have committed to keeping this alive for generations to come. I want to highlight the many small groups that have brought us to where we are today. In 1865, the first Unitarian Society of Kenosha was formed, and in 1868, a dedicated group of free religious seekers purchased the land upon which to build this Kenosha sanctuary. Our current building was built and dedicated in 1907. The words in the dedication were, quote, with our ancestors of 87 years ago, let us renew ourselves to the work of liberal religion in this place. In the 1920s, services ended, and the city turned the building into the Boys and Girls Library. In 1979, the building was converted into the Landmark Restaurant. Our own B. Lundgren, Ellen, have B. raise her hand. Our own B. served with the coalition to save the library, and the building is now on the National Register of Historic Places. So how did our journey progress? In the 1940s, a fellowship formed, and a letter dated 1948 stated that there were five people interested in liberal religion in Kenosha. Remember, it only takes a small group of committed people. By 1955, there was an active Unitarian fellowship meeting in homes, which did keep liberal religion alive. When the Unitarians and Universalists merged nationally in 1961, the group in the fellowship joined the Racine Church and at that time became the Unitarian Universalist Church of Racine and Kenosha. The journey to return to Kenosha began when a small group of Kenoshans formed the Social Concerns Committee in 1970. Again, B and I were charter members of that group. Shortly after that, a young, vibrant minister named Tony Larson, who was here last night, came to serve the two city congregations. I recall when Tony came to meetings, some of you heard this last night, but I think fun stories are worth hearing again. Tony came to meetings and his socks didn't match. 
Finally, B asked why. And of course, Tony had a good reason. We thought that he just did not want to sort socks, but last night he revealed that he mismatched socks because in college it was too dark to see them, and that's how it all started. In 1970, Tony approached the Kenosha UU members with the idea of becoming a branch church from Racine. The group readily agreed, and the first service was planned in the rented hall of Memorial Methodist Church. Tony had advertised his sermon as, Thank God for Heretics, Michael Cervitas. And our question was, Will anyone come? Which was answered when a group of dissidents appeared interrupted Tony by reading scripture and having to be asked by the Methodist minister's son to leave. And by the way, he looked like a bouncer. As the group left, one woman shook her finger at me and said, you harlot, you. Can you top that for a first service? Where's Eric? Do you think that'll ever happen to you, Eric? He holds up. In the seven years that followed, Tony served both congregations in Racine and Kenosha. Until 1993, we had five sites that we rented, and then the congregation grew. In, eight, in 1987, the decision was made that we should charter and become Bradford Community Church Unitarian Universalists. A total of eight ministers served us before Reverend Eric came in 2016. In 1992, Reverend Annie Holmes became our UUA-appointed extension minister and was our first full-time minister. We were meeting at Kemper Chapel, and I am sure Jeff Hellison remembers carrying the hymnals down in a box from an upstairs closet. We had Sunday morning services and five extra activities a year for 1,100 a month. Five activities a year. That's not very many. In the spring of Annie's first year, the stewardship pledge drive theme was dreams and visions. Bradford's members had long dreamed of having a full-time minister and a place of our own. Again, a fateful moment occurred when my good friend Mary Dixon had a call from the owners of the Landmark restaurant, telling her that Bradford members had first option to buy the building. Within minutes, Mary called both Annie and me and said, Want to buy a church? <laughs> With the advice of our UUA financial consultant, Dave Rickards, we quickly had a capital campaign drive underway. In the six following weeks, we used the theme, We Can Make It Happen, and we did. We not only raised the goal of $100,000, we raised $150,000 and were eligible for the UUA loan. The Unitarian Church, slash library, slash restaurant, slash bar, was going to be a church again. Last night, Reverend Annie and I recalled what that first service was like, with a salad bar and a restaurant grill right here on the altar. The lower level had a full-service bar and a walk-in cooler, and this is where we were to teach our religious education classes. Annie recalled that the beer cakes still had beer in them. Let me remind you that a small committed group, many small committed groups, have held the survival of liberal religion in Kenosha in their hands for 150 years. 
The stewardship theme in 1993 was dreams and visions, and that theme has carried members throughout this journey of 150 years. Our journey goes on. Our dreams and visions continue to lead us into the future. Thank you. I'll now invite longtime friend of the church, Mary Norris, forward to present some thoughts on our history. My name is Mary Norris, but I came today to talk to you as Mary Davison Bradford. And I do this talk in first person. Today I would like to tell you about the Unitarian part of my life. I was born in 1856 in Paris, uh, Paris out in Kenosha County. <laughs> and we lived on a farm. I was the sixth of seven children from a Puritan background on both sides of the family. We kept the Sabbath. There was no church out there. Sometimes we would go to a nearby school and there was a circuit rider who would come and preach, non-denominational. In my family, the Bible was read and discussed every single day. My father was in a terrible accident and could barely walk. My oldest brother was, got sick and died, and so our family moved into Kenosha. I was 12 years old. We began to come to the Unitarian Church, which existed then. How, out of all the churches in Kenosha, did we end up there? We were invited. So many people right here now today have been invited to come to church. And that's what happened in our family. My father never stepped foot inside the building. He was housebound, barely able to stand or walk. But the minister would come and visit often and there would be wonderful, long conversations. And then the Reverend Henry Simmons came. And oh, that was a glorious time. By that time, I was in high school. And Reverend Simmons knew that it wasn't just enough for the church to hear some of the things he wanted to talk about. He wanted the community of Kenosha to hear, too. I remember one year he gave a lecture. It was all about the solar system, the sun, the moon, and all the planets. For some people, this was heretical. Everything had come from God. This was more science-based. And the year after that, oh my, Reverend Simmons gave a series of lectures on the descent of man by Darwin. The Kenosha Church and Reverend Simmons were decried by every single pulpit in Kenosha. I didn't understand everything about the solar system. I didn't understand about the descent of man. 
but I was grateful to hear those controversial ideas. And then our minister, Henry Simmons, who was good friends with another Kenosha businessman named Zelman Simmons, got an idea about having a library. Zelman Simmons provided all of the money. He and Henry Simmons and others, my father included, suggested titles, and there were 1,000 books that were purchased, and the library was set up right in the church, and it was open an hour before and an hour after the Sunday service. And people from all over came to check out books. There were some who felt that that was breaking the Sabbath, but they were not above sending a friend to come and check out books for them. <laughs> So those are just some of my memories, but now I'm looking at this group and I'm thinking about the Bradford Community Church. Bradford, named after me, my husband's name was Bradford, and I of course became the superintendent of schools and was well known all over the country. So Bradford seemed like a good name for this church. But they also chose the word community, and that continues today. This is a community church. As Reverend Eric said earlier, all are welcome here. And then, of course, the word church. Look around, think about it, remember, dream, this is a holy and sacred place. So once upon a time, there was a small group of people. Some of them were rich, some of them weren't. <clears throat> some were gay, some weren't. There were women and men and presumably everything in between. There were old and young and middle-aged. Some of the adults had a lot of education. Some had very little. They were ordinary people for the most part, but they did have some extraordinary ideas. First of all, they didn't think anyone or anything could know the whole truth. This applied to governments, companies, schools, and yes, even churches and religious institutions. Therefore, they believed that people should have a choice in those things they were a part of. Again, be it governments, companies, schools, and yes, even churches and religious institutions. Consequently, they believed that it was not only important, but essential to learn from one another and the world. Their religion would be based not on a single teaching or concept, but rather on the ever-unfolding knowledge that comes from exploration 
and science, philosophy, psychology, theology, ecology. And perhaps even more importantly, their religion was informed through their own life experiences and their own relationships. Now, they didn't always agree on everything, especially politics. Some were staunchly union, some were capitalists in the truest sense. They differed on how to respond to racial injustice and wealth inequality. But they all believed in these inherent principles of personal choice, personal conscience, and interpersonal dialogue. Now I am, of course, talking about us. I'm talking about the people of this very church, but the really cool thing about this is I'm talking about all of us in all of our incarnations. The folks who first founded a Universalist Society in 1860, who were the same people who helped found the Unitarian Church five years later, and by this land where we now worship, three years after that, who built this very building in 1907, and who remained in our faith long after this building was something other than a church. The folks who formed the Unitarian Fellowship officially chartered in 1951 and then joined the Universalists in Racine when the two faiths finally merged in 1961. Those who stayed connected to Kenosha through the Social Concerns Committee in the years that followed and those who started worshiping in those different spaces around the city of Kenosha those who signed the charter in 1987 and then signed the mortgage on this building again, this time in 1993. And all of those of us who are here right now. We all have these principles in common, these beliefs that no one has access to the whole truth, and therefore everyone's perspective is needed for any of us to learn. Reverend Theodore Parker, a Unitarian minister of the 19th century, said that as much even before there was a white settlement in Kenosha, when he said the whole human race is needed to do justice to the whole truth. Now I'd like to read from the original Articles of Incorporation from the First Unitarian Society of 1865 who, again, remember, were made up of about a third of the Universalists who had started earlier, about a third independent spiritualists, as they called themselves, and about a third Unitarian transplants from the Eastern United States. Their charter says in part, quote, the declarers for purposes of religious culture and benevolence grant that we may worship more after the dictates of our own consciences do constitute ourselves a religious organization. And we declare the objects of this organization to be to cultivate morality and true piety, to sustain weekly religious service, to maintain the right of private judgment and secure the largest liberty of thought. To enjoy Christianity, religion, 
to enjoy a religion free from creed, to illuminate among us humane enterprises for the relief of suffering and for the general good, to preserve the order and maintain the usages of society against innovation and corruption, to cultivate the spirit of brotherhood, a liberal feeling toward each other and towards all, we cordially invite to our number all who have these ends in view. End quote. These words were special then. These words are still special now. These words were radical then. They are still radical today. These words were true then. And they are, if anything, even more true today. Now make no mistake. We are the beneficiaries of the legacies of all the people and all the iterations of this church community. Those who, regardless of time or circumstance, upheld a staunch belief in information and knowledge, personal choice and conscience. These folks who hired women ministers as early as 1901 elected women to their leadership a generation before that, rejected creeds and slavery and all of its forms at the very beginning of the Civil War. But also all of those who moved from space to space around this city until they could return to this, to their, to our spiritual home. Finally, remember that the only thing more important, more sacred than our history, is our future. Independent thought, responsible government, the rights of women, these were threatened in 1868, just as they are today, and have been all the days in between. Their message is our message, and our message will be the message of generations that come after we ourselves have moved on. So on this day of remembrance, this day of history, let us recommit ourselves to living love in the world now and into the distant future. In this, we will not only be celebrating our sacred history, we will be making some of our very own. May it be so. Blessed be.